0: Luke chapter 9, if you would please. Luke chapter 9. Start reading in verse 37. I'm going to read all the way down through verse 50. Luke chapter 9. Verse 37. And it came to pass that on the next day, when they were come down from the hill, much people met him, and behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child. And lo, a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him, that he foameth again, and bruising him hardly departeth from him. And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. And Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. And as he was yet a coming, the devil threw him down and tear him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child, and delivered him again to his father. They were all amazed at the mighty power of God. While they wondered every one at all the things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, Let these sayings sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them. That they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be the greatest? And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him, and said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. And John answered and said, Master. We saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him, because he followeth not with us. And Jesus said unto him, "Forbade him not, for he that is not against us is for us. The title of the message this morning, A Faithless and Perverse Generation. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege that we have to be assembled together and to open your precious word. Thank you, Father, that we can have assurance that we have your word, your words preserved for us in our own language in the King James Bible. And Father, I pray as we look into the word of God today, that we give attention to it, that we pay heed to it, that we learn and grow in our grace and knowledge of thee. Help us to examine our hearts before you this morning. And Father, I pray that you help us be willing to delight to do thy will we would not be a part of this faithless and perverse generation. So, Father, I pray that you'd encourage us and challenge us. Speak to our hearts by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard an old preacher say some years ago that we live in a prayerless age. Now, this fellow had participated in years past and... Things like Oliver Big Green Crusades, and where they an all night prayer. What they used, what they always referred to as all night prayer meetings. Things we don't hear about nowadays. You know, prayer is an act of faith. Uh, therefore. If we're not if we live in a prayerless age we live in a faithless age and because of a lack of faith in God we be, we can become or are perverse that word perverse mean really means against God and so as we think about a faithless and perverse generation I want to first of all define these two words and this is and it's interesting and I'll get to this in a little bit uh, who he refers to is this, but the word faithless means simply means without trust in God. John 20, 27, remember Jesus said to Thomas, reach hither thy finger, behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, thrust it in my sight, and be not faithless but believing. Don't be without trust in God. Why should they have trusted him? Why should Thomas why sh- why shouldn't have Thomas doubted? Because Jesus told him over and over again. I am going to be slain. But I'm going to rise the third day. But Thomas was faithless. And the others were too. Really. Uh, The word perverse means corrupt. Or wicked. Or to plot against. To plot against the purposes of God. Balaam was. His way was perverse. He was going against God. God told him don't go to Moab. And he persisted in going. Finally said, God said, All right, go ahead. We said, Your way is perverse. Acts 13.8 describes it well for us, I believe, when the Bible says, But Ilamis, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood, and that's the idea, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. And Acts 13:10, again, speaking about the same man, and Paul said to him. O fool of all subtlety and all mischief, the child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And, of course, Paul warned us in Acts 20 and verse 30 that there would be those that would do perverse things or speak perverse things. He says, also of your own selves, speaking to the church of the elders of Ephesus, of your own selves, some men arise, speaking perverse things, things against God, to draw away disciples, under the, after them, So the question this morning is, who was Jesus calling faithful and perverse? Was it the Pharisees who were constantly trying to trap him in his words? Was it the Romans who ruled over Judea with a strong hand? No, it was not. It was his own disciples. Think about it. It was his own disciples that he is referring to as faithless and perverse. Those who had walked with him, ministered with him, saw miracles firsthand, just had confessed him as Christ, the, uh, the Christ of God. And Jesus said, you're faithless and perverse. How long shall I suffer with you? So... What prompted this statement from the Lord? You know, by the way, Jesus didn't say anything that wasn't true. His words were true. Well, in a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 17, it gives us a little more details of this same account. In Matthew 17, verse 17 through 21, It says then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be removed. It shall remove and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. So, so he said their way was, they were without belief, they were, they, because of their unbelief they could not cast them out. So the first thing that we see here is that they lacked faith. They lacked faith to cast out the demon. He said because of your unbelief. In Luke 9, verse 41, he calls them, a faith, calls them faithless. You know, In their words, you know, they confessed him as Christ and Lord, but in their actions, they struggled with applying their confidence, their trust, their dependence on him in everyday life. You know, they knew who he was. That wasn't the issue. They were trusting in Him as their Lord and Savior. That wasn't the issue. The issue was they were having, they were struggling with trusting Him for everyday life. Through the storms and trials of life. To overcome the obstacles that the devil would put in their paths. That was the problem. Does that sound familiar? It does to me. Maybe you're more spiritual than I, but it does to me. Is not that our struggle in life? It is. That's our struggle. You know, we have examples of this in, in, in other places in the Bible. For example, in, in Matthew chapter fourteen, when Peter uh, w- w- went walking on the water, and and, and of course, and then he looked at the waves, and the wind boisterous, and and he began to sink. And and uh, it, verse thirty-one says, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his, and caught his hand and caught him, and said unto him. O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Why do you doubt? In Luke chapter 8, verse 22 to 25. Again. It came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples and said to them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. He gave them clear directions as to what they were going to do. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake. And they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. And he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where's your faith? I appreciate by The whole Sunday school lesson this morning, you know, there was many who looked at the rubbish, the obstacle. Of uh, 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 building the obstacles in the way of the building of the wall. We say, we just can't do this. Nehemiah says, put your trust in your God. Put your trust in your God. Don't look at the obstacles. You know, Saul looked at Goliath and said, I can't, I can't lick him. <laughs> David said, I'm looking to God. I have trust in God. See, our problem in everyday life is we see the circumstances. And our faith is shaken and we question God's ability to help us to overcome. We're just sometimes like the disciples, we're just faithless. That's faithless. So we fail to trust or have faith in everyday life. You know, we hear, we read, we hear His Word, we hear His commands, we we we, we read His promises and, and we, we believe Him. But when life circumstances happen, we doubt. Or we cave from pressures from others. Fear pressure. You know, we like... We adults like to talk about peer pressure, young, young people, but there's peer pressure among adults too. just as, Just as real. And we have just as much problem with it as you young people do, if we're honest. You see, Jesus called them faithless. Faithless. And the reason they couldn't cast out the demon was they were faithless. Second thing we see here is a failure. Not only did they lacked faith, but there was a failure to understand or perceive. Notice verses 44 and 45 of Luke chapter 9. It says, Let these sayings sink down into your ears. Now, they, they were just all amazed. He just cast out this demon. They're all amazed at the mighty power of God. And he says, but just remember. Let these sayings sink down into your ears. The Son of Man shall be delivered in the hands of men. But they understood not this saying. It was hid from them that they perceived it not. And they feared to ask him of that saying. So they failed to understand or perceive. Now, the word perceive means to become aware of, to know, or identify by means of the senses, to recognize, discern, to envision, or understand. Okay. Sorry, I don't strike this. Brother Hoyle is going to sing a special more. Now, Did you perceive anything about how I said that? How do I say it? Do you perceive anything about the way I said it? I was being sarcastic. Brother Hoyle has talents and abilities, but one of them is not music. He may be singing on a hill far away. (laughs) Him and my father-in-law make it a good duet. But anyway. uh, So you perceive sarcasm. In other words, you you understood or you discerned by the way I said it that I was sarcastic. All right? Uh, So, you know, to perceive means, again, that you recognize that. Or it means to recognize or discern. And the Bible says here they perceived it not. Now this isn't the first time he said this. In John 8:43, he said to the Pharisees, "Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word." Now of course this was spoken to the Pharisees in John 8:43, but why do they not understand? Why do we not sometimes understand? An interesting thing to me is, verse 45 says, they feared to ask him of that saying. Why? In Luke chapter 8, verse 9, or Luke chapter 8, he tells them the parable of the sower, and they didn't understand that, and they just asked him, what, what's, it, what's the parable of the sower mean? And he explained it to them. So why were they afraid to ask him about this? Good question. You know, I believe there's three reasons why the Pharisees, why the disciples, and why we sometimes do not understand. Now, this gets down to real life. This hit hit home. First of all, number one, is we have preconceived ideas of our own. Let me give you some illustrations of this. In Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, verse 1, the Bible says there were present at that season some of some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So What was the preconceived idea here? The preconceived idea, the idea here is that these Galileans that Pilate killed were worse sinners than everyone else. That's why they got what they got. Jesus said, it's not so. It's not so. Notice in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 verse 31. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And I believe this hits the real issue when it comes to the disciples. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now this is actually before our account in Luke chapter 9. Because Mark chapter 8 records the account that's written or Mark chapter 9 records the account that's written in Mark, uh, Luke chapter uh, 9. So this is prior. He Began to teach that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. So here, he, again, he's saying and telling them that he's going he's gonna to be killed and he's going to rise the third day. And Peter takes a side look. This ain't happening. You need to quit saying this. You see what the problem is? Peter has his own ideas about how this is all going to shake down. And you aren't dying. That's what he's saying. We ain't going to let it happen. You know, they believed that right up till the very end. That's why Peter took out his sword cut off the servant serving the high priest a He was ready to fight. See, too often we can't see or understand what God's trying to teach us or show us because we have preconceived ideas. Many of you, like I, you know, didn't grow up in a church like this, and we have we, have, we have preconceived ideas about how Christianity works. You know, and, and, and if you're like me, you're slow to change. You're stubborn. Sometimes that can be a good thing, I've always said. You know, we shouldn't be quick to change. Be careful with them that are quick to change. The Bible does say that. Men are not with them that are given to change. But we do need to receive the truth and be willing to change when faced with the truth. So they had their own preconceived ideas. Therefore, they didn't understand. Second thing is pride. Notice verse 46. Verse 46 of Luke chapter 9. You know, Jesus just told them Let these sayings sink down into your ears. The Son of Man shall be delivered in the hands of men. And you know what they start doing? Look at verse 46. Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be the greatest. He's trying to tell them, look, you need to get ready. You need to understand that I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to rise again the third day. And they're over there bickering about which one's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They don't want to even consider The death of Christ, or suffering for Him, or serving for Him. They're only interested in the kingdom. And who's going to be the head honcho? That's pride. Pride. And again, they bickered about this right up until the night He was arrested in the garden. They were arguing about it then. Luke 22: 24 tells us that. Now you might say, man, I wouldn't have been doing that not unless you were given a chance. You know this is this is the lot of humanity. this is the way we are. Jonah was more interested in his own personal interest against Nineveh than he was in God's mercy toward the sinners of Nineveh and God's purpose with Nineveh. You know how many times will we not ask for help because we already know? Or we are embarrassed because it's humiliating. So we just plow through and along in our pride and our stubborn ways. We're not going to let anybody else do it either. Look at verse 49 and 50. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him. We stopped him. Because he followeth not with us. Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not. For he that is not against us is for us. You know, pride, pride can make us control freaks. You know, there are a lot of people in our country that want to control what what all the rest of us think and say. There are some parents that are control freaks. They smother their children trying to protect from the world and do not prepare them to live in the real world. someday you're going to have to let them go you need to prepare them for that and that takes a lot of wisdom it's a hard thing to do but it must be done you know these verses in verses 49 to 50 are not justifying error or compromise you know some will take these verses and say see there we should you know be part of all the ecumenical that's not what that saying What Jesus is teaching us is, we do not have all authority to control the way others worship God or the way others teach about God. We are to expose error, but not rule it with the force of the sword, like Roman Catholicism or Islam. And you know, we must be careful about having an, a me-only attitude. We're the only ones that are right. You know, there was a guy in the Bible that had that attitude. Elijah, I'm the only one left. Lord said, there's 7,000 in Israel that haven't bowed their knees to Baal. So we need to be careful in our having this attitude or putting pride in. In our stand for the Lord. And be condescending to others. So pride. There's a third thing here. Third thing. And and that is this. We're just not willing. To make the sacrifice. And deny ourselves. Suffer the time it takes. Look at verse 47, 48. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him. And said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. Now what we see here happening is, Jesus was taking time. He was suffering that means he was bearing with, you know, notice in, in verse 41, he, he says, uh, 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 or, uh, I'm sorry, where is it here, verse, uh, yeah, verse 41, uh, how long shall I be with you and suffer you, that word suffer means to to bear with, the idea of a bearing with, or you know, we would say, how long do I have to put up with you, you know, that's the terminology we use, how long do I have to put up with you? Uh, and, and what he's doing is that he's, he's suffering with them, taking the time to instruct them, to sit them down, and teach them the truth. That took time, and for them to learn it, what's required? They have to be willing to sit down, pay attention, and listen. And be willing to do it. Your Proverbs one five says a wise man will increase learning. A wise man will hear and increase learning. Look at Proverbs chapter two. Proverbs chapter two. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter two. My son, if thou wilt receive my words, Hide my commandments with thee. So thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and lifteth up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for his treasure, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom out of his mouth, cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous, he is a buckler to them that walketh uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, and every good path. You see, if the disciples would have been seeking to understand what he was saying, I'm going to be slain and the third day I shall rise. If they would have been seeking to understand that as much as they were seeking to figure out who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom, they wouldn't have had this problem. Of being faithless. And perverse. But see the problem was. They were not willing to. They were not willing to. John 7.17. There's an interesting statement. In the Bible it says. If any man will do his will. He shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Now the word there, will, means to desire or delight in. So if any man will delight in his will, God's will, Jesus said he shall know. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way in the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. You see, when we will seek him as silver and search for him as gold, that is time consuming. That takes effort. That takes effort. Priority. then we will know then we will understand then we will have faith you see they were not willing to take the time they were not willing to pray and fast so they could cast out See, our problem too many times is, I'm speaking to myself as well, we're not willing to suffer, we're not willing to deny ourselves, we're not willing to prostrate ourselves before the Lord in fasting and humiliation before God, who has power to save, who has power to break the hardest of hearts, who has power to break our sinful habits, who has power to save lost souls. And some of you say, well, you know, fasting, we don't need to do that. It won't change anything anyway. Why did they pray and fast in the Bible? I've even heard it said that fasting is not for this age. I'm not sure how they get that. but Well, fasting's not commanded. No, it's not, but it is expected. God expects us to do it. See how you know that? Well, Matthew 9, 14 15 says this. Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast off, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. He's been taken from us. He's referring to our day. And he says, then shall they fast. You know what? God expects us to do. You know, in 2nd Chronicles 20, verse 3, the Bible says, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. In Ezra 8, 21, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of that we might afflict ourselves before God, to seek of him a right way for us, and for our little ones, and for all our substance. God's interested in a a right way for us, for all our little ones, and our substance. Whatever it is, even as birds. It's our substance. Esther four sixteen. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maids will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish. You Esther is putting her hand, putting her life in the hand of the king, and so she asks, "Pray for fast and pray for three days." You know, Isaiah fifty-eight says, "This is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free." and that you break every yoke. There may be somebody may be bound with the bands of wickedness. God says, fasting can break those bands. It can undo heavy burdens. It can let the oppressed, you may be oppressed, or, or maybe there's a yoke that you're bearing, a burden that you're bearing, and it can break that yoke. Jonah 3, verses 5 through 9. The Bible says, So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest from them, even to the la- least of them. For it came unto the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, and laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth and satin ashes, and caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily unto God, Yea, let every man... F- uh let, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not you know when they when they were preparing to send out first missionaries do you know what they did acts 13 2. And they ministered to the Lord as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. See, it was through their ministering and fasting that God said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul. For the work we are have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. You know an interesting thing that I've read during the great, the days of the great missionary enterprise, the 1800s, early 1900s. You know what they did at missions conferences? They fasted. Yet you know we do now. We feast. Your brother Evan said one time, he didn't say it in his words, but it's almost like you get tired of eating. I know what he's talking about. I've been to missions conferences, and they said, well, supper will be at five. And I'm thinking, oh, my, do we have to eat again? Because they want to feed you and feed you and feed you and feed you. You know what used to? Fast. Hudson Taylor, George Mueller. Now we have banquets. Luke two thirty-seven. She was a widow. Talks about Anna, widow of fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and his prayers night and day. You know, Paul in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven says, "In weariness and painfulness and watchings often, hunger and thirst, in fastings." You see, many that God used greatly in the Bible spent time. They, they were willing to deny themselves the pleasures of the body and fast and pray so that they could see God do only what God You know, we would say they were people of great faith. Would we not? And I believe that would be true. You know, Jesus said to the disciples that they were faithless and perverse, and that this demon could not be cast out by them, He could not be overcome by them because of their lack of faith. And then he said, but if you'd have prayed and fasted, you could have. What does prayer and fasting then prove? Does it not prove our faith? In the power of God. So the question is this morning. Are we faithless? How much faith. Do you and I have? How is it demonstrated. Before God. Might God help us to have great faith. Might be willing, willing to deny ourselves, to seek his faith. That we might see him do in and through us what only God can do.